Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. The title I've given my message this morning, Thou Shalt Not Kill. Might seem kind of strange, or maybe you go, whew, he's not going to step on my toes today. And we'll see. Maybe my own toes will get stepped on today as we open God's Word and look what the Holy Spirit has for us today. What led me to start down this path of thinking about this message was obviously what's happening in our nation right now. There are some that are happy that Roe was overturned. There are some that are unhappy. And there are others that are indifferent. There's a lot of misunderstanding what the overturning means. And there's also a lot of lies going around about what it means. But it's showing a lot of where, where people's true colors are, where their hearts are at by their reactions to it. What about us as Anabaptists, as non-resistant Christians? Should we care about Roe being overturned? We don't feel it's our place to vote, to use a politics to try to affect law. I don't believe that it's our place as Christians to try to use the laws of the land to push morals or laws onto non-believers. But at the same time, I think, I, I know I am, and I hope that each one of you are thankful that this law has been overturned because it has the potential to save hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of children's lives that now have the opportunity to be born and to live. But at the same time, I don't believe our nation has avoided the judgment for the 60 million plus children that have been killed in the last 50 years. And so I do believe at some point there will be a reckoning for our nation, if we're not seeing that already with the struggles our nation is going through right now. And maybe you say this morning as you think about this, well, I would never kill a baby. But I want us to be able to be careful and to stop and evaluate our own lives this morning. Is there a beam in our own eyes when it comes to the Old Testament and New Testament commandment to not kill, to not murder? Turn, um, the, you can turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. But in Exodus 20 is where we find, Thou shalt not kill. I think it's the shortest commandment, or one of the shortest commandments there is. Seemingly one of the most easy to understand. And yet, how many people over history have tried to make excuses for killing someone else? Justifying it. Condoning it. How can a person come to a place where they're not only willing to kill their enemies, they're not only willing to kill someone else's baby, but they're willing to kill their own baby? Of the 
plus million that have been aborted, killed, murdered in the last 50 years. There may be a few cases where someone was tricked, someone was lied to, but I think the majority knew what they were doing when they went and had their baby killed. It was not slaves being taken and had abortions done. It was not people that were drugged, didn't know what they were doing. But let's look at this story in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. And I forgot to turn there to myself. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Then came there two women that were harlots under the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together, and there was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night, because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight, and took my son from beside me, while thine handmaid slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is dead, and my son is living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two. And give half to one and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And I'm going to stop there. These were two ungodly women. They were harlots. They were already violating a lot of God's commands, and yet there was something in these women, especially the, the one that was the mother of their living child, that was willing to give her child to this other lady, even if it meant she lost the child to herself so that the child would not be killed. And yet we live in a time in Western culture where millions of women have no moral qualms with allowing someone to kill their own child. How can culture get to this place? And I think it shows the decay of our culture that we're living in. But yet we've gotten to the place where, where we're so far beyond what these two women were in the Old Testament. They not only permit their child to be killed, that they encourage other people to kill their children, but they, as is said today, they shout their abortion. They, they're proud of it. And some do it publicly. It's, it's, it's very, very sad and very, very evil. We need to be careful today, I think, that we say, oh, we would never do that. But are there ways that we 
can start to come to the point of thinking that abortion is no big deal, the taking of a life in the womb is no big deal. I hope that we would never get there, but the world around us, the culture, and I believe now with Roe being overturned, it's going to get even more prevalent that it's as easy today as taking a pill that causes a life to end shortly after conception. And so we need to be careful that we never get to the place where we're just cold and um, opposed to God's commandment of thou shalt not kill. Turn with me now to Exodus chapter 20. where we find this commandment. There have been some comparisons made lately in trying to justify abortion or fearmonger to say that a miscarriage is no different than an abortion and that we need to be very clear in our minds that if you have a miscarriage, unless you purposely did something intentionally premeditated that caused the death of the child, That is God's choosing for that life to end. And that is very different than us going and doing things that causes a child to die. Exodus chapter 20, uh, we're going to start at verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I visit for the eye of the Lord, I got him jealous, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, for in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and resteth the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in thy neighbor's. And I'm going to stop there. I asked earlier, how could a culture, how could people get to the place where not only do they accept the killing of other people's children, but they accept the killing of their own children. And I believe we can see it here as we look here in Exodus 20, that long before the day that they allowed the killing of their own child or someone else's, they had violated a number of these Ten Commandments. And it made my mind go to the thought that For the past 20 or 30 years, there's been a lot of pressure to remove the Ten Commandments when they're displayed in public, whether it's in a park or on a public building. And I never really thought about it before, but the connection of 
not wanting to be reminded of God's commands, wanting to not be reminded that there is a God who has standards and morals and laws. And I think it's connected to the battle we see right now over abortion and over other things that people want to do that are in direct violation to God's words. So maybe we don't struggle with this one, thou shalt not kill. Maybe, you know, we have no, we are very firm in our convictions on this. We don't go to war. We don't use guns to defend our homes. We don't kill our unborn children. But under the New Testament law, are we free and clear? What does Jesus say? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin at verse 21. And yes, God's law against killing, against murder, still applies today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And ye have heard that it has been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say... To his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in the danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembrance that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Agreeing with thy adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time... The adversary delivered thee to the judge, and the judge delivered thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out hence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard it have been said by them of the old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I went farther than I was going to. So I'm just going to stop there. So maybe we don't struggle with the other, but... Where are our hearts today? When we have a disagreement, it's not that we will never have a disagreement with a brother or sister in the church. It's not that we won't ever have something come up with a neighbor or a coworker who disagrees with us or we disagree with them. But how do we respond to that? Do we get angry? Do we have a bitter attitude towards that person? Now I'm going to bring it closer to home. Have we had an attitude or a harbored anger towards someone in the last week or in the last month? If so, we need to go and make that right. Or in God's eyes, in Jesus' eyes, we are just as guilty as a person that murders. It seems very contrary in our minds and our human thinking that this would be so. feels like someone who's murdered innocent people are so much more evil, but yet Jesus' law that he brought when he came is even higher standard. And we need to be careful that we're not in violation of that. 
As I was thinking about how to make this message come home to us, I heard of a story this morning that took place, I believe, in Macon, Mississippi. And it happened to a conservative Mennonite couple in their 60s or 70s. A man broke into their home in order to try and violate the wife. And as I look at the story this morning, don't take from me that I'm condemning or judging them for how they responded. I'm simply saying this is a real-life story, and it's often the scenario that we talk about when we're talking about how, what does it mean to really be loving and non-resistant when we're put in tough spot. So, in anything I say this morning, don't take it that I'm condemning or judging the, the couple and how they responded. I don't know how I would respond if put in the same place as they did. But the man had a knife and he threatened the husband in an attempt to scare him a conservative person on the right in our nation today would say, well, if you had a gun, you should pull it out and shoot the man. You, you have the right to do that. But do we, as Christians, have that right? Is that how we should respond? No, because we are not allowed to murder. It doesn't matter for what cause or what reason. We do not have the right to take someone else's life. And in this case, this couple did not do that, but they did resist, and like I said, I'm not judging them. Don't take it that way at all. I don't know what I would do in their situation. They prayed for deliverance. They witnessed to the man while the attack was going on. And yet the world around us would say, oh, you had every right to hurt the man, to... Take his life to protect your own. And it's a difficult situation, but yet God's commandments haven't changed. Now go with me further there in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to pick up at verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue them at the law and take away thy coat... Let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard it have been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so, but be or sorry, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in which is in heaven is perfect. Thankfully this couple survived. Neither of them died, they could have died. There's other people that have been in similar situations that lost their lives. And hopefully their witnessing to this man will bear fruit someday. 
But we need to be careful that we don't start to believe what we hear around us, that it's okay for us to protect ourselves, even if it means killing someone. Now I'm going to move back and close out this morning thinking a little bit more about the abortion argument, whether it's right or wrong and what the, what, the, what the government should do and all that. One of the arguments being thrown at conservatives and Christians now that Roe's been overturned is, well, are you going to adopt all the children now that are going to be born but not wanted? What about all the foster ch- children? I believe their argument is in disingenuous. I don't really believe they care about the children and what happens to them. But what is our response? Maybe it makes us feel a little guilty. Maybe we feel, well, maybe we should do more. And there's a balance there. We'll look at that here. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Part of being a follower of Christ does call for us to do things that are not comfortable, that are not necessarily going to get us, make us richer or make our families have an easier life. Visiting the fatherless and widows often takes a lot of sacrifice on our part. So we are called to do that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we have some more words of Jesus. Once again, this was a story that he was, a parable or a story he was telling. But yet here we have a commandment of what we are to do. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we in hungered, and fed thee? Or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in? Or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee we in hunger, or thirst, or in stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them and say, Verily I say unto thee, you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into the everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. We are called 
to help. We are called to give drink to those that are thirsty, food to those that are hungry, clothing to those that are naked. Is God calling you this morning to adopt? And you know it, and yet you're clearly ignoring that call. Has God called you to help someone that you know is in need and you're ignoring that? We are called to help. But obviously there's limitations to that also. John 12.8 says, For the poor always ye have with you, but, that, but me ye have not always. I don't want to take that passage out of context, but I believe what, God, what Jesus was saying was, no matter what happens, no matter what you do, there will always be poor. So along with that, we could also say there will always be children that are orphaned. There will always be people starving. Because we live in a fallen world that cannot be completely avoided. But what are we doing to help those that God brings into our lives? I like the story Maybe it's, maybe it's overused, but the story of the man walking along the beach, picking up starfish that had been washed in overnight with the tide. He picks one up and he throws it back into the ocean. He picks another up. And someone else walking along the beach sees him and says, Well, you could never save all these thousands of starfish. But he said, well, I'm making a difference to this one as he tossed it back in. We can't help and save every child or every person that is struggling today in America or in the world. But are we making a difference to the ones that God is bringing into our lives? Are we feeding, clothing those that God brings to our doorstep? Often the people that God brings into our lives... It's an inconvenience. It's often at times when it's not handy to help. But I believe that should be our response when those around us accuse us of not caring. It doesn't mean we have to give up everything we have and live on the street also so that we can try to help every poor person in America. But we are called to minister to those that God brings into our lives and to be faithful to the calling that he's given each one of us. So let us think about that as we think about what's happening in our country. No, I don't believe we're called to try to get every state in the union to stop committing abortion. I believe that's not our calling. But our calling is to serve God faithfully and to help those that are in need. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the example that you taught us as you walked the earth. You were not able to talk to every single person that was alive on earth at the time, Lord, when you walked on the earth. But you ministered, you encouraged, you helped, you healed those, Lord, that you came in contact with. Help us to be faithful in the same way. When someone is brought into our lives that has a need, Lord, help us. Give us wisdom to know to do what you would have done. 
Help us, Lord, to be a light in a world that's seemingly ever growing darker. Help us to be faithful till you call us home. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.